think we have to try to find the uh, optimism in situations and just try to resonate with what makes us feel in a way that we want to feel. And there's like, that's, I think, the, you know, existence of music. It can just, it can portray any emotion. Welcome, everybody, to Nashville Drummers Podcast, episode 14. Today's guest is Sophia Goodman. She is a drummer and composer residing here in Nashville, Tennessee. Attended Berkeley, graduated in 2011 for a drum set performance, and then she moved to Nashville a year later in 2012. In 2017, she was inspired to begin leading her own group called the Sophia Goodman Group. And if you haven't seen them around town, they are just crushing it. Uh, the group performs in a variety of jazz, and they have performed at various festivals as well, such as the Elkhart Jazz Festival, the Alex City Jazz Fest, USM Jazz and Blues Fest, and a whole lot of other venues. And if I'm reading this correct here, it says she's a complete ass kicker. Is that? Yes, complete. Yeah, yeah that does say mm-hmm. that there. Yeah. It does. <laughs> uh, no, really, ladies and gentlemen, Sophia was such a pleasure to talk to. I was especially excited when we got to talking about her thesis, and you'll hear that. Yeah, she was just, I was blown away with, like, she was very studious with the instrument. She really knew her history and has a deep appreciation for where rhythms come from and and just other musicians and other drummers. Yep, and a solid human being. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. Love and kisses, Nate and Dan. scene of how we first met it was may 4th it was the night that we interviewed jed oh okay jed smith so if you haven't listened to what was that episode 10 yeah yeah we talked to jed and obviously jazz music came up and i told him that there was a open jazz event a living waters brewery in east nashville so we uh we went together and yeah i think you were already on the kit and you were just absolutely crushing it Thanks. i was like who and you know even beyond this podcast i'm always obviously interested to see and meet other new drummers and especially in the jazz scene uh it's a genre i haven't really truly discovered especially in in this town i don't think i actually introduced myself to you that night but um i don't i don't think so i don't <laughs> yeah, think you did I, I talked to leland and maybe some other drummers and i had a bounce but yeah yeah we connected leland like the is, next day yeah. leland is great so yeah he's the bass player um, that I've been using in my group and, uh, he's, he's a great player. I really enjoy, uh, playing with him and, and, uh, I really like his, uh, ethic, like his work ethic. And he's like, uh, doing these living waters, uh, jams where he's, uh, getting people together and doing jazz and not only just jazz, but like pop and rock and, mm-hmm. um, some other stuff. He's so, a killer player. Yeah, he's great. So thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing your your story. We're we're both you know kind of meeting you here for the first time, so we're excited to get to know you. And why don't we maybe start of you know where you're from and how long you've been in town? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm originally from outside of Boston. I grew up in a town called North Reading, and um, I uh, basically started going into Boston when I was, um, well, middle school, high school, 
But when I was in high school, I was in the city a lot, a lot at Berkeley College of Music, kind of soaking up the scene there. And then I lived in Boston for a little while um, and went to school at Berkeley um, and graduated. And then my apartment building that I was living in um, burned down. Yeah, it was it was insane. And um Everybody was, nobody was hurt, so that was good. Like a campus dorm room, or was it just a separate thing in Boston? No, it was an apartment. Gotcha. Yeah. It was after I had graduated, and I was living in an apartment. And uh, so I had some friends that had moved down to uh, Nashville, and um, they were like, oh, yeah, you know, we're, we've got a house and we, we need another roommate if you're interested. And the rent was, I think, like 350 bucks a month. Oh, man. And it was kind of like a home studio situation where I could play drums and they were going to be mic'd up. And um, so I was That's like... That's a pretty good offer. Yeah. yeah. Especially coming from Boston. I, you know, yeah. I never thought that I would be in Nashville. It's, it's, it's funny because I've been here now 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, so I... Country music doesn't really do that much for me. I mean, some country music I like. I I, I like any uh, anything that's that makes me feel good. Yeah. But um, so I, I try not to limit myself. Is basically what I'm saying. Yeah. But um, I wasn't. I didn't move here for to play country music. I never saw myself playing. You know, in a in a big country band. When you did move, did you get a lot of comments like that? Oh, you're gonna be gonna be playing country now. No, actually, really? I, I don't know that anyone in my family really. I don't know because I, don't know I got I got nothing but that when I was yeah. moving. Oh, oh, because oh, so you're gonna you're gonna play country now? I'm like, no, I have no intention of doing that. I'm just curious that that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, where are you from? I'm I'm actually from a town called Redding in California. Yeah. Oh, that's oh. why we look at each other yeah. when you said your town. Oh, there. that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, actually, like when you go into the the town that I'm from, there's a sign called uh, "No Reading." It's like you're entering "No Reading." It's like N O dot <laughs> no Reading, but it's spelled like reading, and it's yeah. like yeah, it's well, <laughs> a very intelligent yeah. town. <laughs> no reading. <laughs> okay, God, I won't. No school either. <laughs> All right, <laughs> but please move here. We need yeah. your family. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, anyways. Um. So when I got down here, yeah, I did. I didn't think that I would be playing country music or anything. I actually really didn't know what to expect at all. I thought I was just going to save some money and move to New York. Um, but then when I got here, I started sitting in at uh, blues jams and and whatnot, and I was picking up gigs. I was picking up a lot of blues gigs and R and B type gigs, and um, and then I did start doing some country gigs as well. Um, and just rock gigs and just a bunch of different things. And it was pretty exciting for me because I was traveling a lot and I had not done that much, um, in Boston. I had kind of traveled like around the Northeast to play some, some shows. Um, but I, I hadn't got on an airplane or anything like that to go play a gig. So that was, that was pretty exciting, Mm -hmm. um, when that was happening. Uh, and that was back in, um, 2012, 2013, was like when I first got to town. So yeah, I want to back it up just for a second because I was reading that you before Berkeley you actually performed with uh, Esperanza Spalding right, yeah. during the summer program. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So uh, my music teacher in high school um, saw that I really liked music and recommended that I go to uh, the Berkeley five week program, 
which is um, basically you go and you live um, on campus. And so I did that after my sophomore year. And then I, I also did it again because I had so much fun. I loved it. And um, it was kind of like I got to have a little bit of freedom. So that was really mm. exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But anyways, yeah, I got placed into her ensemble just by sheer luck. I, I don't think it had anything to do with my talent at the time. Mm. So it just uh, just happened to be. And um, yeah, it was it was a really cool experience. She was, she was really uh, a pretty funny person, very supportive as well. Yeah. What did you take away from uh, studying with her? Um, well, we did a performance where we we played um, we played a Mingus tune. Better get it in your soul. I don't know if you know that one, but you could you could go listen yep. to it. And honestly, I don't remember the other tunes that we did, but it was kind of um, an introduction into jazz for me, and on a deeper level because uh, I had played in school. I had played in a jazz band. Um, in my sophomore year of high school, but I hadn't really, like, I hadn't listened to that much jazz at the time. What I was listening to was a lot of rock. Um, I really liked punk rock when I first started playing drums. Like, like who? Oh, like who? Um, the Misfits. Um, I mean, I did like some of like the pop punk bands. I liked Green Day. I liked Blink One Eighty Two. I liked No Effects. Um, those are my upbringings as well. Yeah, I was in in, like a Blink cover band. And were you really? How have we not talked about this? Because it never. I don't think we ever played a show. Like it was just. We practiced a lot and just played in my driveway. Somehow I learned something new about you yeah. every podcast, even though I've <laughs> known you for exactly. a long time and literally interviewed about you, you about your career. <laughs> anyway. So anyways, uh, yeah, when I, when I went to Berkeley and I saw so many amazing musicians just playing on a level that was I had not been exposed to. Like I would go out and see local bands all the time in middle school. It's kind of like what I did on the weekends was like go out and see whoever's band was playing like that was in high school or whatever and kind of like watch the older kids play. And um, but when I got to Berkeley, I was like, whoa, Mm. these people are on a on a these people are doing something totally different. And it's really badass. Can I say badass? You can say anything you want on this podcast. It's it's uncensored. Okay, great. (laughs) To a certain degree. Yeah. I'm usually end up censoring Nate's microphone. Yeah. I'm usually good, but on the, I occasionally, a few curse words. I occasionally say too much. It was, it was really cool to be at Berkeley and see that. And then after that, I was like, I have to go here to college. Hmm. So, um, I, uh, started taking lessons from a professor named Jackie Santos mm-hmm. um, and uh, got into Berkeley and went to Berkeley and yeah, it was, it was really cool. And, and it, when I uh, had my experience with Esperanza, it was, it was before she got famous, she was making waves definitely at the school. Like people were taking note of her, but it was like pre mm-hmm. big time fame. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the time she was like one of the youngest instructors. Wow. Didn't know that. Interesting. Who? So, okay. What? What years were you there? I was there from. Uh, I graduated in 2011. All right. So, in in while you were there, who among? So, obviously, the the faculty is going to have a huge effect on you. But who among 
the students, if anyone, was kind of like, a, as I know, obviously there's a lot of beasts there. Like you said, you're like some of these people were on just a different level. Oh who, yeah. Who did you who did you encounter that just kind of <laughs> a lot, yeah, a lot, a yeah. lot of drummers. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's just a drummer. I mean, even some of the drummers that aren't like super famous right now are were some of the most inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of this drummer called Torch. Yes. I, you I, have Greg, I, sure. Greg Scruglioni. It's, I don't know if you like Scruglioni is kind of a weird last name. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. Name, yeah. It's like, anyways, He's he great. was like, so, so cool. I would, when I was actually like in high school, I was um, hanging around with like that, his circle. And I, his drumming is just insane. I mean, look how clean and fast he was and how deep it like smacked Mm -hmm. um was just really really cool and um yeah i mean like uh, there were some big drummers there um a lot of the drummers have gone on to play with the some famous people uh daniel platzman Mm -hmm. was a friend and it was funny because I was actually talking to him. He moved out to uh, Vegas, and then I think he was in California for some time, and he was, like, telling me to come visit him. And I was like, oh, yeah, when you're rich and famous, you can fly me out there. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and then, like, a year later, Imagine <laughs> like, Dragons was, like, yeah. blowing up. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and now every student that I teach, they're always, like, they always want to learn Imagine Dragons songs. <laughs> so, um yeah, I mean, there's there's too many good drummers there to, yeah. to even pick. So 2017, you formed your own group. Mm-hmm. Talk about that evolution, and and you're still performing with them? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's your main... Yep. Would you say that's your main act these days? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I said, like, I was freelancing a lot. I had been writing music since I had graduated, and that was just kind of fun. Like, I would get on GarageBand and just uh, hop on a keyboard and just make some progressions and put some beats together and some melodies and try to sing on top of it. And it was really, like, just free. Um, Are you pretty fluent in other instruments as well? No, not really. Um, But I I like to play. Like, I like to play piano, and and I like to sing if I feel like it so i would just record ideas basically and just come up with some songs and and i i did some recordings of a couple of my songs before i moved to nashville i had been writing music just for fun and um i continued to do that just continued to write songs on piano and um play drums to it and just write it out you know, while I was freelancing, I was just kind of identifying some things that I didn't want. Hmm. So I think identifying the things that I didn't want helped me decide what I did want. Mm, and I, that. Um, I wanted to lead my own group. And uh, so I just started booking some gigs at uh, just like restaurants. <laughs> and we would play like standards and then sometimes we'd try originals that maybe weren't even appropriate for the venue. But... Um, we, uh, continued to do that for a little bit. And then I finally, um, got us booked at some better venues, like some festivals and to hit a little bit louder because, uh, you know, the stuff that I play, it's not, it's really dynamic. Sometimes it's really light, but it's not, um, 
like standards usually. I mean, I like standards. I like playing jazz standards, but my original music is definitely really inspired by a lot of things. And my first album that I put out was had like more of a runk, uh, a runk. <laughs> a ru- Wait, you have to edit that out. My first album had a uh, rock and a funk influence runk and uh yeah runk maybe that's a new genre i think it is i don't know it is it's basically the red hot chili peppers or something you're not wrong um (laughs) anyways so yeah uh so like i would you know definitely lay into the drums play some uh double bass and i was just really into kind of the fusion sound but i also had some really soft songs on the albums the, the on the album that was um more like a ballad and so the new album that I'm working on now is uh, more inspired by Afro-Latin rhythms. It's a little bit less rock-influenced. Yeah, I'm really excited That's about it. Exciting. You're recording that this month, right? Um, I'm doing some recording, actually, on Monday, and then I'm going to be doing the rest of the recording in July sometime. I haven't booked the session, but I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's so <laughs> to cool. To finish it, so yeah. Red. Yeah, I was just listening on the way in. Uh, have you seen Bess? Oh yeah, which is super dope, by the oh, way. Oh, thanks. Your phrasing and ideas. I was like, this is awesome. I'm so excited. I, we get to talk to this person. This is fantastic. That, and so, just so I understand, is that 100 percent your composition from top to bottom, or? Yeah, on the on the first album, um, my husband did uh, contribute to some of the writing. Um, Orbital Nebula is one that he contributed a lot to. This um, upcoming album, which is going to be called Secrets of the Shore, is all my own compositions. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. And it's it's just been a lot of fun. I, I like to write music a lot and uh, play. It's just a it's a way to play, you know, in, in, a, in a way. Um, didn't mean to rhyme there, but... Um, yeah, it's just like a creative space for me, and it just feels free. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned back to when you were forming the group, you discovered what you didn't want. I'd like to learn maybe deeper into that of what those things were, whether it was a combination of strictly musical things you didn't want to pursue or playing with a band. And Yeah, it was a lot of things. Um, so it was some things where it was the music and the message and not really feeling like um, maybe my heart was all the way there and, and I want to feel that when I'm playing music I want to feel as good as I can when I'm behind the kit that was one thing so like sometimes there'd be like country artists that I just couldn't really relate to some of the topics um you mean like rolling the window down and turning the radio up I mean that's cool I could relate (laughs) to that actually um no just I don't know I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to throw anyone out of the bus here so I'll I'll do the throwing. You can remain <laughs> clean. I'll do the, oh, yeah. the gas pedal. Yeah, <laughs> I'll keep it vague, but yeah. And then um, you know there there were some scenarios too where um, I didn't feel comfortable working with some men that were older than me. And for a little while, I was like, I don't want to play with men who are like over fifty hmm. because I just I didn't like feeling like I didn't have control over the situation. I didn't be. I didn't like some of the forcefulness that I encountered and some of the awkwardness that I encountered. I didn't, hmm. um, 
sometimes you get on a gig and it gets a little making you feel in a certain way. Maybe maybe somebody's wanting something different. And yeah. you didn't really feel comfortable. Sounds like yeah, I just didn't feel comfortable. And yeah. and honestly, I don't know how much of that was in my own mind. Sometimes definitely not because there were some some people that were um, just like inappropriate. And mm. um, so in a way, like band leading was a way for me to have a feeling of power in control which sounds kind of like whoa that's intense but i think everybody really actually likes to feel like they have like the power to make their own decisions and make their own choices and and essentially just feel free yeah um so that's part of too what i like about jazz is that not always like a one forced way of being sometimes like if you're playing in a in a cover band you know you got to play that song just how they did it on the record. Somebody who's like a super fan might actually notice. That can be really cool if you really love it. But if you're just kind of working for the money, then I don't know. Sometimes like you can't feel as good as you want to feel about it. So um, that was one thing. Um, another thing was just band leaders that I didn't feel like where I wanted them to be band leading. Like maybe they didn't communicate their song well. And be like, oh yeah, like I, you know, I kind of just want to like this, and not really give me an actual uh, tangible yeah. thing. What that a I felt band like leader that doesn't know how to communicate! I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really do appreciate band leaders who use charts and things like that. And yeah. you don't always have to have charts, but that's yeah. so great when when people do use charts because it just makes it so much more clear. And uh, it's a great way to communicate your ideas. It's a great way to get on a gig really quickly and not have to uh, spend a bunch of time and maybe even anxiety trying to figure things out under a time constraint. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to work with band leaders who like are real legit musical directors have charts. And sure. yeah. um, at the very least, if there's not a chart, there's like a good recording mm-hmm. and it's not like going to be super complicated. <laughs> So, yeah, and and I think leading a band really taught me a lot, too. Like, it it gave me a different perspective and more respect for the band leaders, too. Where sometimes, like, things that maybe bothered me when I was on a gig. Hmm. um, Because, I don't know, like, something wasn't lining up smoothly. It kind of gave me a different perspective of, like, oh, well, things might not always you know, go to, go to plan. Mm-hmm. So being flexible is, is great. Mm-hmm. Um, in that role, did that, did you kind of, as you know, they say to understand all is to forgive all and, and going through that and, and becoming a band leader, did you have any moments you go, Oh, you know what? I kind of, I had this experience with that person and that annoyed me at the time, but now I see that that was something or did you or did that just go, well, now I, I know I saw that I didn't like that. And, and I'm not doing it that way at all. Yeah, I mean, I think if you force yourself to say, I'm not doing it that way at all, mm-hmm. you kind of like put up a resistance. So I think it's just a, a you want to just try to have fun and, and not be so uptight. And yeah. Um, But yeah, it definitely gave me a different perspective and, and more compassion for band leaders. Mm-hmm. I really like this topic of power uh, as it relates to drummers. I feel like obviously in our different positions as playing for an artist or on Broadway or really any gig, I mean, in some ways we're not really ever in control, you know, like we're playing for the artist, we're playing for the 
the band for the music, of course. It tends to be a very subservient role. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we have more control than we than we realize. Yeah. We just have to like choose to figure out what feels good mm-hmm. and and try to see that versus focusing on what's going wrong. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all in perspective. I like that. I kind of think of it as like we're like the skeleton or the wrong skeleton for the song, the whatever it is. You're just, it's very obvious to the artist. You're like, well, we have actual control over the vibe and energy of the song. Mm, that, that's it. I right. think. But yeah, yeah, control during the performance versus control of like the, the freedom and flexibility to choose those parts and, you know, right. to, to be that band leader. I definitely believe, yeah. like what you're saying about the energy. I definitely think that the drums and the drummers like are the energy creators of the band. I mean, you can definitely emote as a vocalist and, and any other instrument, but I think drums bring the energy like more than probably the other instruments. Don't tell them that though. <laughs> We're well, biased. So we yeah. agree <laughs> I will tell them that yeah. to, to their faces. I bring more energy. I'm important. Damn it. <laughs> We're going to eventually start to have some non-drummers on this podcast, and that's going to be fun. Yeah. Cool. I'm excited for yeah. that. You know, well, so I was just thinking about what you are saying. I worked with Virgil Donati for a while, and he was very critical of the whole – when people talk to him about, well, you know, why do you have to do this? And, you know, don't you want to play to the song, that whole thing? And he's like, well, that all of that is subjective. And, at, again, he's his own band leader now. He's like, I say what the song is. I'm the artist – so for someone to ever come to me with a critique of, well, you know, how do you know, you need to learn to play to the song is like, that's, it's a totally, it's like a nebulous concept. It doesn't make any sense. Like it is what I say it is. Yeah. I am, I'm the song. <laughs> I built the song. I wrote the song. I composed everything. It's this, it's my subjective choices anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting because what what we do as musicians, like we love to play. We love the feeling of our instruments when we're playing, and we really like to get the audience like involved and in- engaged. Like that all feels really good to have the appreciation of the audience. But at the same time, like we can't decide to let somebody's opinions influence the way that we're gonna choose to feel at the end of the day. So. You know, I think people will always have their opinions, but you could attach to it and it could make you feel bad and get you really like, you know, not feeling very good. But, you know, you could just say, well, they're whatever. They're, they they yeah. got their own opinion about how it's going to be. But uh, I'm awesome and mm-hmm. I'm going to keep composing these songs. Yeah. And yeah. art is always subjective. You know, I'm it's, sure it's, uh, yeah. Virgil knows that he's a badass. So, yeah, yeah. he's he's yeah. aware. <laughs> he, he's, he's, he's aware total sweetheart of a guy but he definitely knows he's a beast yeah, yeah there's, and there's nothing wrong with that you know. although he did I remember one night he said he's like yeah I haven't worked on double bass in a while I'm just I'm really really it's really rusty and then the next night he just did this blazing double bass solo and I was like oh I thought you were rusty and he goes I am he goes, that was terrible I'm like yeah, right. okay well See you later. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's get into who are some of your favorite drummers, your inspirations. Yeah. Because it sounds like you have a very diverse background. 
stemming from you know your pop punk roots and right yeah and actually rock and so jazz. like i remember when i saw travis barker like with blink 182 and um he was on the stage and they had him strapped in on this thing that was like spinning with the yeah. fire and i was like wow that looks like so much fun <laughs> I want to play the drums. Yeah, right. Hell yeah. Um, so, I mean, I you know, Travis Barker, is he my favorite drummer? No, but I mean, you know, uh, rock, like, legend, legendary yeah, drummer. His influence on just the generation, multiple generations. Yeah. Know? So, I mean, I, I definitely, I would say I definitely was influenced by drummers like Bonham. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, who else? Uh, Bernard Purdy. Um, Billy Cobham is a, is another one of my favorite drummers. So the first uh, like jazz album that I really got into was Love Supreme. Oh. Um, so Elvin Jones mm -hmm. definitely, and and he's all about like how it like he has such a cool philosophy. If you ever like read into some of his like stuff, it's like esoteric or whatever. But um, that's got to be top three jazz albums for me. Period. Probably number one, Love Supreme. God, yeah. that album is so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love uh, Terry Lynn Carrington. Mm -hmm. um, there's this drummer out of New York named Savannah Harris that's an amazing um, drummer. Uh, and, you know, like I said, Torch. Torch, like, he actually has a book out. He's, he does. Um, You're making, I, I, it's funny, I haven't checked his stuff out in the last two or so years and I'm just like you're making me realize I need to go back and watch a bunch of his videos <laughs> yeah um uh, who else uh David Garibaldi yep um yeah, you're and, going through some of the drum books yeah over there <laughs> yeah um definitely one of my influences and uh, yeah that's a pretty mm -hmm. good starter list I'd say yeah <laughs> can't, yeah. yeah can't go wrong Garibaldi's the I remember I had a have you ever seen Tower Power Live? No, sadly, no. Oh my god! Okay, it's horrible. I got, I, I got to see, I've seen them several times, and I, I saw them in. Oh my god, they're so good. Yeah. But I saw them in high school, and I'm like, I'm already, I'm like, I'm a pretty practice obsessed person at this at this time. I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know, I've got a good sense of time, whatever. And they had, they have you clap the eighth notes. I'm like, and I'd never seen that before. I'm like, why do they have everybody clapping the eighth notes? Well, because if you try to clap the backbeat. You will get lost. Even clapping eighth, I was, I was like, "Wait, where am I in the bar?" Because he he would tur he turned it around on me like ten different times. Like I don't know where one is. That was g so good. He was yeah. he's so phenomenally good. Yeah, that that book is is great. Yeah, yeah. future sounds. Yeah, there's a, there's a reason why it, it obviously <laughs> works because he messed with my head. Like it's that whole that all that displacement stuff, dude. Yep, Dave's the man. Yep. All right, I have to ask, because you said Travis Barker, and everybody who says Travis Barker, you already know what I'm going to say, Dan. You already know. I don't know, actually. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> Did you ever get into the Aquabats? No. No, I, I didn't. Sorry. <laughs> oh, man. That's, to me, okay, I'm just going to, I'm. I've done this to like five different guests. I'm, the Aquabats, Aquabats, right? Aquabats. Aqu Aquabats. Oh, Aquabats. Where are you from? <laughs> Aquabats. <laughs> I was, I was trying to say Aquabats. Oh, I forgot. Getting, You're from New York. They've, I am. <laughs> they've been getting so much free promotion from you specifically it's in the true. past few years. Well, all the, all these national weeks, drummers yeah. podcast listeners are going to go, oh, Aquabats. All right. I'm telling you that to me, that's Travis at the top of the game. Yeah. Best, best version of Travis. 
Like such such cool ideas. Just really all of that energy in like just compressed into a little tiny ska craziness. It's perfect. It's amazing. Yeah. Fury of the Aquabats. I think that's what that yeah, was called. I'm Check surprised I didn't hear them because I definitely <laughs> had a uh, ska. I, I definitely liked ska and uh, played in some ska bands. I'm going to send the album to our little group text thing so you okay. you and you can listen to it because we've talked about <laughs> yeah. it like five different times yeah. on different podcasts. So anyway, I had, I had to come back to that. Sorry for the aside. I'm going to take us into a different, somewhat different tangent here. I'm actually going to read a, a quote from your Nashville Scenes article. This this really stood out to me. So the quote is, um, it's describing you, of course, uh, and your group. Goodman creates compositions that allow her collaborators to have a conversation among themselves and with their audience. Her art, wordless though it is, embodies optimism in the face of harrowing challenges that is eclipsed only by the radness of her drum solos. <laughs> what a badass last <laughs> sentence. That's a great quote. So, yeah. yeah. Talk to us about that. <laughs> and well, the radness of your drum solos. Let me, let me unpack this all. Hold on a minute. Yeah. yeah. So, um, okay, so I'll, I'll start with the uh, conversation piece. So, you know, I really do love playing jazz because it's it's different. You know, every time that you play it, you go into a solo section and you can kind of you know, have some some different dialogue going on. And, and you really have to listen to what the other people are playing and try to respond to what they're playing. Um, so that to me is just a lot of fun. And um, also... The way the things that the soloist might say depends on the song, depends on how they're feeling, depends on the vibe in the room. So like the crowd's energy is something that definitely might not seem like it could affect anything, but it's just kind of affects how people feel, I think. And and that's going to affect what they might say or the emotion of their solo. Um, so that's a lot of fun. And uh it's really cool to find audiences that are captivated by that. Um, I think, you know, making jazz more exciting will create more interest mm. to people. I think sometimes, unfortunately, you know, some people, maybe they associate jazz with something that is um, old and doesn't maybe yeah. have vitality Dull, or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, that's definitely... Uh, really far from the truth yeah, right it should it should push boundaries it should be kind of fringe that's kind of the idea right you know i think it can be anything that you want it to be yeah. i think i think i think it can and that's i do enjoy that a lot to just experiment and see what we can keep creating and how it can keep expanding so that's been really cool and then what was the next thing that he said in there oh optimism yeah op op optimism <laughs> in the face of harrowing harrowing can't talk harrowing challenges <laughs> yeah um, optimism in the face of challenges yeah a lot of a lot of the stuff that i write um i try to find the duality in it because i think like you know if if something's good it kind of implies that something would be bad mm. you know what i mean like we can't I don't know. We know what yeah. feels good probably because we know what feels bad. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so a lot of my songs, um, I try to explore that with the music because um, I don't really think that any one thing is just one thing. Hmm. Um, 
but it all is one thing. Um, corny. Anyways. Um, that was very Jed Smith of you. I feel like he would have said that as well. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I just, I think that, you know, in, in a song you can always portray different emotions. And, and part of the fun for me is to think about, you know, what it would make the audience feel feel like or what they would imagine maybe it would be about and then maybe tell them maybe tell them a little bit of the story Mm. um but i think you know we have to like i think we have to try to find the uh optimism in situations and just try to resonate with what makes us feel in a way that we want to feel and there's like that's i think the you know existence of music it can just it can portray any emotion and people gravitate towards whatever the music it, it is that they want to feel like, you know, if they or they feel like if they feel sad, maybe they would listen to a sad love song or if they they want to amp themselves up, they listen to some pop or rap or something like that that just kind of mm-hmm. gives them a little bit of, you know, funkiness kind of type of feeling. So in the, in the things that I'm writing, though, I always feel like there's two sides of things. Yeah, that's really interesting. With that in mind, do your compositions, do you try to base them off of current events? No. Well, I haven't actually. <laughs> well, I haven't. Nothing that I am um, getting together for this upcoming album is based on any current events. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope it would be timeless, I guess. Yeah, right. Yeah, I like that. Well, I want to I want to ask a question about the last part there. Yep. <laughs> so, how does one go about one being you constructing or executing a how was this said here? Uh, the radness and optimism eclipsing rad drum solo. <laughs> I, don't I, know. I remember that's what I stuck know. that's what stuck out when I first saw you play at Living Waters. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of talented jazz drummers, and you know they can throw it down the groove. But the soloing really is that chance for that individuality to really come out. Yeah, um, I don't know. I guess it just happens. I don't. Know. You spend so much time playing that it's when you get to solo, it's just fun to have it come out. And uh, as like a lot of athletes say, like kind of get in the zone. You don't want to think too hard. You don't want to force it. Yeah. Turn off your brain a little bit. Yeah. You have to just go with the flow um, and just have fun and have like I I sit down on my drums a lot and I just kind of have conversations Hmm. like on the drums. And if I'm thinking something, then I'm like, how would this be expressed with maybe my dynamics or where am I going to go on the drums or what kind of texture do I want to have on the drums? So I just, I just have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, yeah. I love that. That, that reminds me of our first uh, conversation with Nate in episode one about like the, the idea of the subconscious, you know, mm-hmm. so when you're thinking you're not really playing kind of just coming out. Right. Right. Yeah. Kind of want to turn that off and just get into the subconscious as much as possible, which is like, for me, it's easier now to do that while I'm playing with other people because I can attach my conscious brain to the performance of the other players. I'm like, oh, I really love what the bass player is doing. The groove is so is so deep. It feels great. And I just lock to that. And then 
if I'm if I want to solo over that over a, some sort of vamp, that's easy. But in a freeform setting, it's a, it's a little bit. I guess I don't know where to put my conscious brain. And I look at people like Dennis Chambers and, and people like that where I go, this person can play a solo for half an hour and it never gets boring. And they, you can tell they're like engaged and I'm engaged. I'm like, how? Yeah. I mean, I think it starts with them. If they're feeling bored in their solo, you, you might start to mm-hmm. sense that. But I, I think it's, you want to get away maybe from the thought of where do I put my brain and mm. just go. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, I feel like that's something most drummers would agree. Like I think if we interviewed not even just in Nashville, but most drummers, like what do you struggle with or what are your fears on the instrument? It would be drum solo. You know, cause I think we overthink it. We think, Oh, we have to impress right off the gate and we gotta play easy. loud and you really should be telling a story. And like you said, with dynamics and thinking about texture and that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, I think it's really easy. I think uh, once you start thinking about, oh, what's this, this person's going to think this and this person's going to think that and this person's going to think this. I hope they like me. I hope they, oh no. Like if you start getting into that kind of hmm. mindset, then just, you know, it's not going to feel good. So I think just trying to find something in yourself and just allowing it to come out is is really what it is about in what makes the most sense, even? Hmm. Love that. Yeah. I mean, that really, that really is like I would say, for me, maybe one of the most challenging things. Give me a vamp, and I can go forever. I'm like, yeah, great. Okay, just nonstop ideas. But then it's just me. I'm like, yeah. I have nothing but like the fear that I'm boring everyone in the room. Like, God, how can anybody be entertained by this except for me? And that is just like. <laughs> paralyzing it's terrible yeah i think it's one of those things that of course comes with practice the more you do it you know it's one thing to just practice in this in the room here but you have to just get out and i'm sure maybe this was your experience is the more you did it live and playing around in boston and coming to nashville yeah more comfortable i think you get you get more comfortable the more you do it sure but i think also just like learning how to not care about other people's opinions mm-hmm. um, and just like trying to come from a place that is good for you. Mm. It's good life advice. You hear that a lot. Yeah, you know? it's good life advice for sure. <laughs> so like if you ask celebrities, what what's your one piece of advice? It's like, don't care about other people's opinions. Mm. A lot of them say that. Yeah. And it, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you're like a un, uncaring person or anything like that, but for you to just do your job right, you want to, come from a place that you're like feeling good about it versus like wor- a place of worry. Mm-hmm. If you have your worry come in and, and I don't know, I just, I do kind of think like as a, as a drummer, like we're like, we're echoing things out. So I just, I try to like just come from a, um, a point where like I'm just having fun. I've, I've also like had the experience of somebody not enjoying my playing so like i think it like you go out and have that experience it doesn't feel good you don't want that but it also kind of like gives you a little bit of a of a feeling well i can get through that it's not like it's really not such a big deal you know it doesn't it doesn't like i can choose how i want to feel at the end of the day and i can choose what i want to do as well and and what i want to play yeah, it's a great mindset. It's really empowering. And like, it's just music, you know, it's not, not life or death. 
<laughs> just drums. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's true. So sometimes it feels like it is, though. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why is that? <laughs> Wait. What? <laughs> it feels like it's life or death. Yeah. To... Some, sometimes it does feel like that. Has, has that not ever? Is am I the only one that has? Are that? you referencing just playing in general? Or yeah. Sometimes I'm like, man, if this doesn't go well, there's like a voice. Like, man, I don't know if this this is like trauma stuff or whatever. It's just like, yeah. man, if this doesn't go well, then you're just screwed forever. You'll be fired from this gig, and then you'll never gig again. Yeah. Like, oh my god. The, it's all a house of cards. Yeah. It all depends on me nailing this this next 30 seconds. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think sometimes, like, the pressure can be, like, it can almost be part of the thrill of it because it's, like, the release after, like, say you have so, a, such a high-pressure situation, <laughs> and then you're like, whew, I did it. Yeah. So you kind of have, like, this sweet feeling of relief afterwards Mm -hmm. it it doesn't feel good but i think every like every musician has been there in some point like where they're like they worry that they don't like it and then they're like i want to be good Mm. i want to be like accepted or i want to i want to please other people i want this to be enjoyable i want it to be useful for everybody in the room and you care a lot and that's like a really a really good thing and and part of what makes a good musician i think is just a the way to, to care about your craft. I don't know. I, I'm trying to just not operate from like, as I keep g- playing more and more, I'm like learning to not operate from that place of worrying about what so-and-so might think about and just be like, Oh yeah, like I'm doing it and I'm hitting the drum and it feels so cool. And it's like drums are just like awesome. Mm, love it love that where do you guys uh, what kind of venues in town are you probably playing at well we played um, our last gig was at Rudy's um, and then I'm actually going to be playing at Urban Cowboy but I'm going to be doing like a trio thing so it's going to be like some standards and improv stuff it won't be like a lot of my I don't know that we'll do any originals. I'm working on booking some things. I've got some cool stuff coming up in August. And I'm going to be back at Rudy's um, in September and uh, November. Um, but I've got some some cool like out-of-town stuff going on um, in October and September. And just working on picking up more stuff. Um, pretty excited to get the album out because... I think that'll help me get into some more venues and some more places that I want to play. I'm going to probably hire a publicist, which is something that I had not done before, but I I had a mentor tell me that I should do it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a, in a way for me, it's like, if you believe in yourself, you deserve it. Like if you believe in your music, then you deserve it. And I feel like my album that I'm working on now, I just feel like I've grown so much. So I, I, I already feel proud of it. Yeah. This will be like a, it'll be a new experience to work with a publicist. I, yeah. I don't even know who I'm going to use yet, but yeah. um, <laughs> it'll happen, I guess. Yep. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. I, I like that. If you believe, if you believe in yourself and your music, then you deserve that. Yeah, that's, that's a great mindset to bring to that. Yeah. yeah, if you believe in it, then that's it's just no another way of saying put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. Like, well, okay, I'm I'm willing to bet on myself. 
there's a reason why I spent years honing this craft and writing this music and doing all this. That's a that's a great. I think that's a great piece of advice. Yeah. Yeah, I want my uh, music to uh, grow and and uh, go into new places, and I I think that the more success that I can have, um, you know, whether it's selling albums or having a really busy tour schedule, that's just going to help me create like more songs, which is what I really love to do. I just I love to write music i love to sit down at the piano and i i think part of what's really fun for me is that like i'm not um a trained pianist at all um i just like to get playing and then i just start thinking of melodies in my head and i'm thinking about maybe what a gr- what the groove would be doing what the texture would be and that's just so much fun to me so to me like that's that's the path that i would you know want to pursue to grow all that to keep it growing mm-hmm. Well, I think that's I, there's something really honest and pure about, like you said, you're like I'm not a trained pianist. The, some of the best musical advice I've gotten actually has consistently been this, which is the hear the thing that's in your head and then just figure out how to execute that and just do that over and over. And you, I'm like, you can do that on every instrument. My my mentor, a guy named Seth Carlson, who lives here in town, just a genius guy, best guy I know. That's why he's my mentor. Uh, but he gave me that advice. It's the same thing that Jacob Collier says. All these guys, they're saying the same thing. Like, okay, I didn't know. I didn't have someone around me going, all right, well, this is how you do this. And then maybe there's something even better about not not exactly being stuck in the rut of, well, I, you know, I, I, I'm classically trained and I learned how to execute these scales exactly right. I'm like, that's awesome for building facility, but... Maybe it, it might actually be a hindrance to like your own honest from yourself musicality, like who you are as an artist. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something that's really freeing about it. Sometimes, if you have so much training, it's like it's really easy to get in your head about, well, it's supposed to be this way and it should be that way, and oh, what my teacher would think about this, mm. and you know, versus just to let it come out and and that's like you know the history of music cultures were just like letting the music come out and not necessarily always thinking so you know hard about it just kind of doing what what almost came easy to them but um i mean but not to say that something could be like in a way complex but it, i think it it's like taking this, like having fun in this little piece and then adding that little piece and then putting it all together at the end. Um, so I think uh, basically what I'm trying to say is that, you know, if you have a lot of training, sometimes you can feel forced. But if you don't have a lot of training, that kind of can open you up to just um, have a little bit of fun and not have so much worry or anxiety about how things should be or how they're supposed to be because of the way that you learned them. Mm-hmm. How did you keep that mindset while being a double grad from music schools? Wait, a double? I, I, Wait, did you not graduate from Belmont too? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So okay. I got, okay. I thought you meant got a double him. major for a no, second. No, no. Okay. <laughs> Well, that that's actually a very interesting question because um, getting my master's was definitely pretty challenging. Um, and 
trying to just find the positive to focus on. But I mean, it's, you know, you definitely have people critiquing you. And so you have to think like, okay, it's because of their best. They really probably have their best intentions out. They're not out to get me. They are just like coming from place like they really want me to be better and Mm. you know if they for whatever reason didn't really care about me being better it doesn't matter because like i i get to be who i want to be at the end of the day it doesn't you know they their opinions doesn't have weight Mm. um i could let it have weight on me but i don't have to like allow them to have weight on me so um that's a good word writing my writing my thesis was definitely uh challenging because it was a it was a a huge collaboration so i um i wrote a thesis about afro-latin rhythms and um their use in modern jazz and uh the composer actually that I focused on a lot was an artist, uh, artist called Maria Schneider. I don't know if you ever heard of her, but she's amazing. And she's really cool because, um, well, she, she writes really beautiful music and it's, um, you won't be able to find it on Spotify because she believes in like getting artists paid more appropriately and, and making more money. Um, so uh, you'd have to actually buy, you could actually find some stuff on YouTube. There's, there are some performances, um, of her orchestra, but you'd have to buy an album otherwise, um, which I definitely recommend. You will not regret it. (laughs) Um, I'm sure not. It's going on the list. Yeah. There's a new out, her newest album was called data Lords. Mm. Really cool. Um, so I like the name already. Yeah. yeah. So, but like a lot of her music, um, in the past is she, she was really into Brazilian music. Um, so I analyzed some of her uh, songs and then I analyzed some of my own songs. And, and that was very interesting because some of the feedback, you know, it was like I had to surrender some of my own vision, which I, I didn't like, you know what I mean? I, I, <laughs> I want to, um, I had to, work with others and and consider how they felt about it and always try to remember though that it was because they they wanted it to be good Hmm. um it's it's important definitely to just to to keep positive though about when you are collaborating with others because it it can be easy to let somebody's opinion alter your mood Mm -hmm. because there are definitely times where that happened Mm -hmm, like writing my thesis there'd be like some kind of feedback that it would be like you know, you should write X, Y, and Z instead of this or that. (laughs) And, you know, so. Kind of going back to just being the band leader and being in a group, having other people's opinions alter, have that weight, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what what made you decide the Afro uh, rhythms as your topic? Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, I think that they are the basis of pretty much all the music that we have in the United States. Um, I believe that like, you know, jazz was born in New Orleans and that, um, from jazz evolved rock and pretty, you know, it just kept evolving. Right. Mm -hmm. So jazz though, was really unique because it was, it was taking elements, a lot of different elements. Um, it was taking things that go on, um, and gospel and blues. And then there were a lot of rhythms that were coming from the Gulf. We were coming from, um, Latin America. 
And a lot of those rhythms um, came from Africa because of the slave trade. So you had enslaved African people who um, had to acclimate into another um, society and their whole way of worshiping was really through music. That was like a, a huge part. Music and dancing was mm-hmm. like really what they connected with God through. Yeah. So those rhythms integrated into the society there and gave birth to like choro, samba, all these different kinds of genres, songo, all these different types of rhythms. Um, that were influencing music in in that time and it to me is just so fascinating how that came into new orleans because of the black population there that was allowed to be african like they were allowed to just express themselves like at congo square with drumming and um whereas other parts of our country that like was not really it was it was way more suppressed Mm -hmm. so because of that expression we have jazz but we we can you know we have that rhythm the habanero rhythm that's in like everything yeah everything and so that came into jazz and you can hear that a lot like on the left hand like even in like at the end of ragtime like coming into jazz you hear those rhythms coming into the the music and it's just a really deep rabbit hole it's a lot of fun to explore yeah. <laughs> and um i always really liked playing uh afro-latin rhythms like when i was in college they were just like really fun to play you yeah. know and probably the most some of the most challenging with the limbs and yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, definitely. Me, I, I agree. It was it was the most fun for me to learn a lot of that stuff just in college. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I you know I always kind of like knew I needed to take a deeper dive onto that because you know some of like the masterful drummers were able to you know talk about that and I'd kind of be like listening but not like totally knowing what they were saying and. I uh, I just I really wanted to explore where those rhythms were from and not even just from a like technical standpoint like knowing like culturally mm. um and their history like where they came from and why and like what the emotion behind the different types of genres um that were there or that are still here. Mm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's funny you're talking about how that that rhythm it's an it's an everything my my buddy matt bover who's also a berkeley grad was has just gone on and on to me about that he's like it's in it's every, it's in everything he's like that's that's all i practice you know i'm just i'm just doing like ten thousand different variations of that because it's <laughs> it's it's literally everything in this on this continent is based on that yeah like okay yeah okay is the biome another is that the same rhythm or is that something different um yeah it's based on that same rhythm um and like a lot of those rhythms are variations and then like what's really interesting to me is that the islands um like puerto rico and stuff like a lot of the feel there was like more um tripletized based um but but it's just so super interesting because i don't know if you ever heard of this genre called lando no, I but it's like a six eight thing, but it's like kind of straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 uh. But and that almost sounds like samba. Da, 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 da. Yeah. 
but you'd have like one more beat in samba. Anyways, you could read my thesis if you want. Yes, to talk yeah, about please, all this yeah. Kind of stuff <laughs> in there. Lock myself in this room here and read that. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it sounds sounds fascinating. It's it's cool to hear. I don't think we encounter many drummers that have such a uh, you know deep history of certain topics like that. Like we made you know we listen to certain drummers and say, oh yeah, I have. A, favorite latin drummers or jazz drummers but to actually know like like you said not just the rhythms and the musicality behind it but the cultural significance it's well, pretty cool and it's it's funny I, I love that you're talking about it because i went to the garska clinic last night and he talked about it for about 15 seconds and just what he said in that time i was like i didn't know that and that's awesome and he was just talk, talking about how something went from being tripletized. He goes, and then, and then they moved over here, and they turned it into more of a 16th note feel. And I'm like, yep. I'm like oh, 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 that's why that has that. And it's like the same idea. It's just like felt in a different way. It's like dis, like a little bit of a displacement thing. Yeah. Where it's like they, the pulse is just in a, it's in a different place. But you can, all, you can take your pulse and you can like impose... If it's triplet, you can you can impose the same idea in, in a straight feel. And and there's actually this um, drummer named Phil Maturano, um, who's an Italian drummer, but he's like a master of like all Latin styles. And he's got this book, oh oh, what's it called? Afro Cuban drumming, I think something. I forget the title of it, but I work out of it. I I should know this because I work out of it a lot. But, um, anyways. He's got like this thing where he basically he's got rhythms where you can you you take the same idea and you put them into a triplet type of feel and then into a straight feel. And a lot of like like Afro Latin music like is kind of always it's like shifting back and forth between those even within the same song. Sometimes the feel can go and that's kind of like what gives it that loose type of feel that can kind of emulate basically being in a drum circle because mm-hmm. if you're in a drum circle, like people are kind of feeling things a little bit yeah. different. So, but it, it, it makes like it kind of flowing in a, in a way that it's, he calls it relayed time shifting. Whoa. Yeah. Is, it, is that different <laughs> than like metric modulation or like an implied, implied yeah, modulation? It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Same kind of idea. It's, yeah. It's yeah. that. I like that title. That's cool. Relayed time shifting. Oh, well, it sounds more like wizardry. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It definitely sent us that. that yeah. Book. I'd love to check out I'm, those exercises. I'm very hungry for that exact knowledge. Like, <laughs> yep. so you're, you're, you're giving this to me at, at a time when I'm like, yes, that's, I've devoured this. You're scratching Nate's. Yeah. Itch, so <laughs> Got bugs all over my skin, Jerry. Uh, nice. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely. You're going to need to send that. (laughs) Yeah. I think think I'm realizing that what I want to do is like take a lesson from every single guest we have. Just like, just just show me shit because I don't, I'm dumb. Just come on. Oh, don't say that. Hey, I'm I'm okay with being dumb. It, yeah. Being being smart is uh, doesn't make you happy. Yeah, well, I mean, we're learning say, so much from every guest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, I was gonna say they, they do great. say um, empty jars are the best because they can be filled. Exactly. Love that. 
Yeah, well, if you, if, you, if, you, if, you grow, if you if you grow up being told that you're smart, like, hey, good job, you did well on your test because you're smart, then that's like that leaves a, a weird impression on you because anytime you fail, you're like, well, I guess I'm dumb now. I'm like, well, the better thing to do is be like, hey, good job, you you worked hard and you achieved that thing. Oh, yeah, I think actually it was that kid that like was really smart, but then I was like, I don't really. What is what good is being smart? <laughs> like it was kind of yeah. like um, relatable. I don't know that it was like fulfilling me to be smart in school. Um, Did you have a favorite non-music subject? Art. Art. Yeah. Makes sense. Like yeah. What kind of art? Like painting Paint, uh, yeah. and figure drawing and mm-hmm. um, I like that. You um, still do any of that? You know. It's been a little while. I did have like a, a a fun little wine night, like maybe a couple of years ago, or or wait, no, more than a couple of years ago because it was pre pandemic. But um, or maybe I don't even know. Everything's a blur. But um, the the last three years are just one year. Like that's <laughs> it's just it's all I'm like yeah. Well, that was all twenty twenty, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um. Favorite otherwise like academic academic uh, mm, history. I don't know. Yeah. Heck yeah. That makes sense. Again, yeah. Once you get out, once I, I hated history when I was actually in school, and then I realized it was just because it was all about categorical knowledge of dates, and I don't care about that. It was but I was like, but the stories are incredible. That my oh. history is super interesting. Yeah, right. Actually, you know what? I did like some of like English literature because mm. I liked reading yeah. poems and reading stories. Favorite poet? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Good question. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shut that light. Wing it a minute. This is really not my forte. I just, I just appreciate it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, it's all good. <laughs> you should, you should have just made up a name and be like, oh, yeah, they're super obscure. They don't know. Oh, oh man. Wow. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah. Oh, love it. Yeah. Do you mind sharing about the Nashville women in jazz? Uh, it's an organization yeah. here that you work for. Yeah, or yeah. Work with. Well, yeah. It's just kind of a grassroots group, mm-hmm. um, and uh, essentially, we just exist to promote shows from uh, women musicians or non-binary musicians um, in our scene, and to try to shine a light on them to expand what they're doing um, and expand our whole thing. And uh, we do get together, we meet up and we have like, um, times where we talk and we're actually organizing a jam session. Um, so I'll, I'll definitely uh, let you guys know when that happens. Um, is this a relatively new group? No, actually it's been around for a little while. I would say it was not much happened during the pandemic. But uh, they, it was uh, founded by Abigail Flowers and Elena Anderson. She's so good. Yeah. I love her. Yeah, she's great. And um, Danielle Subcheck, who is like now in New York, but kind of goes back and forth. Um, so, yeah, um, Danielle actually organized like a big band type of thing. I think she's wanting to um, have a Nashville women in jazz big band group and yeah we're we're trying to just keep brainstorming different different ways where we can inspire uh more more women and just get get more support 
um, for women in the scene. That's awesome. So, yeah. well, what it. kind of events or like ways do you guys promote that service? Well, we do have a flyer out um, of shows, and actually, I've got to update it. So, th- thanks for reminding me because I um, got to add to the list of uh, tour dates of tour of Nashville women in jazz. Um, but um, we hand that out. That's like a resource that we're offering, and then um, we use social media to promote shows uh, as well. And um, we have like a database as well. If you're wanting to, I don't know, program a band that is, you know, has it's more um, equal in gender, um, that you can check that out. Um, Very cool. And we're we're brainstorming some other ideas, Mm -hmm. other resources. We've got some things. I don't want to talk too much about them before um, the uh, fully uh, form. Or whatever. You know yeah. what I mean. Take it. Yeah. Well, if there's any way we could become involved in the future, it sounds like a really cool initiative. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, should we uh, yeah. ask some, uh, some wrap-up questions? Yes, some, we should. Some random kind of... Because this has been awesome. Yeah, it's been really great. Yeah. Cool. It's been fun. Yeah. You want to go first? Best in Nashville. Food. Food? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be like the number one, but but like you can be a top three of like all oh, the love. So this, this, and this. Oh, man. I'm not a good person to ask this. Oh, oh she doesn't eat. Doesn't I? Don't eat. eat. Got it. <laughs> I get it. Well, on the, on the opposite of that, do you cook a lot at home? Is that? Well, yeah. Okay, yeah. so I live like almost in Colombia. Okay. So. Oh, fair. Um, okay. All right. Yeah. Um. I did go to that steakhouse. Like, was it um, on top of the uh, the really fancy steakhouse on top on top of the Marriott? Oh, I don't know. That place was really good. Not gonna catch good. me there. <laughs> that Sounds place great. Was, was good. Um, I don't do elevators, so I tend to not be up in those places. I oh. Wait, really? Yeah, you didn't know this. I don't. Oh, I, I thought do, you were joking. I, no, I do not do elevators. What do you mean you don't do elevators? You won't go on there? I will not go on an elevator. You cannot get me on it. After a certain height or like just any elevator? I will not get inside of an elevator. Do you climb mountains though? Oh, or I'm not afraid of heights. Yeah. It's just like a combined I'm, I'm space a cl- or something? I'm very claustrophobic. So let, me t- let me tell you a little story. I was once painting a house. I was this is, I was working with, with a house painter and just kind of whatever helped him. And we were working at an elevator repair tech's house. He happened to be there. I'm like, oh, I was just asking him what he does. Oh, I'm an elevator repair tech. I'm like, oh, great. I have some questions for you because I'm terrified of elevators and I want you to tell me why I shouldn't be, right? This is what a responsible person does with their fears. They get an expert to tell them why they shouldn't be afraid. It's a very convenient person to meet. Right, and this person is like, okay, I got you. Okay, an elevator has a five-way bypass system, each one fully capable of entirely arresting the momentum of the box. It is absolutely impossible that you would plummet to your death. And I said, let me stop you there. I don't care at all about that. I'm afraid of getting stuck in the box. And he goes, oh, entrapments? Those happen all the time. Any chance of me ever riding an elevator ever again, completely gone. 
Maybe is, you need yeah. to just go in the elevator and get trapped in it and like just overcome your fear. Yeah, overcome, yeah, like just get in there for like a couple hours oh <laughs> and, then, like, and then you'll get released. See, it's and like drum solo. You just gotta keep doing it and eventually. Uh, I, that is a weird concept. Think about all the elevators we take or you and I take on a daily basis and you don't really think about like. I don't know. Yeah, it's a real fear. Well, like, I didn't know that about you. Because they, they can take anywhere from like three to like <laughs> 48 hours to get you out. Yeah. Like, no thanks. <laughs> I have, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll die. I'll <laughs> die. Like, my, my heart will just stop. Uh, oh, you will find gosh. I'll be dust when you, when you arrive. There's no way. I don't, I don't care. I don't care that it's not rational. I will not be alive when you discover me there. It's okay. Uh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we've grown closer now that you've you've yeah, shared your. I don't uh, know how we how we follow that. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> this started from food. Okay. El- oh yeah, food. We were on the very pleasant subjects. Yeah. Um, I think that. Um, well, actually, I went to a place called Sunda. It had really good Sunda. sushi, and it was. Um, that sounds familiar. I've been to some good sushi restaurants in, in Nashville. That's uh, why. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tell us quick what gear you're playing. Okay, so um, I've got an SQ2 sonar kit, um, maple, and it's beautiful. Um, yes. It's a, like a sparkling white. Um, and um, I'm playing uh, Zildjian. I've got a Constantinople Ride. That's uh, 20 inches, and then I've got um, 14 inch uh, Constant Noble hi hats. Um, I'm always kind of switching out my crash symbols. Um, I like Dark Haze, I like the Special Dry series that they have. I've got a flat ride that's pretty sweet, they don't make anymore. Oh. Um, that I got from the factory that was pretty, pretty cool. I, I actually got it because I was like, I um, asked Emily, who works at Zildjian. And I was, um, I was like, hey, do you guys have this ride that Antonio Sanchez plays? Um, and uh, they were like, no, it's not made anymore. Oh, actually, wait, we've got this one in the, the vault here. You yep. can have it. Yep, I got a rock and sock. Oh, I've got some rock and sock thrones. Actually, my, the, the throne that I've been using for the last, actually, two years, though, mostly is the um, Ahead Spinal G. Because I got like a, I got like a, I had a tailbone like issue. Oh really? And probably this is from teaching when I was like sitting on a really bad throne that was like basically just a hunk of metal that was just like some hodgepodge thing. Because I let my students have this like hydraulic thing so yeah. that they wouldn't waste too much time of the lesson like yeah. <laughs> fixing They're their up and down thing. And yeah. So. Anyways, um, invest in your throwing drummers. Yeah, yep. so that that throne actually has a crack in it, and it's like to relieve your spine. I've seen those. Um, yeah. So that's actually been that has helped me so that, that so helps. much. Yeah, and I've got a DW nine thousand uh, pedals. Um, I've got a sweet Superphonic Ludwig sixty seven snare. I just had Joe Dorn fix up um, a um, Sound King Ludwig. Oh my god! Uh, from the I think it's like '68. Um, so that's been cool. It's <laughs> a Gene Krupa Sound King. Um, so anyone, that's been fun. Anyone else have like a mouth watering at certain, <laughs> certain <laughs> drum mentions? It's, it's like. Mm. <laughs> 
I can you hear it. Pick them. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Where can people find you? Where would you like them to find you? Oh, um, Instagram or Facebook or um, my website. Yeah. Okay. Great. Awesome. What's your website address? We'll link to everything. It's uh, it's www.thesophiagoodmangroup.com. Awesome. So I think if you go to my Instagram, it should be... I think I edited the website so that it's there. Um, should be in that link, but... Yeah. We'll find it. <laughs> cool. Go there, listen to her music, be a good person. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be a bad person. Yeah. That's, you know what? It's the most basic instruction I can give to <laughs> so anyone. Just, last just, funny just, words. just be a good <laughs> person. <laughs> Stop being bad to other people. <laughs> Jeez. Well, Sophia, it was great to meet you, and thanks so much for taking the time and Great to learn your, your journey and your history. And Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm sure we'll be fun. talking to you again soon. Cool. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the National Drummers Podcast. If you liked it, please consider leaving us a review on the Apple Podcast app. Also, check out our new website, NashvilleDrummersPodcast.com. And if you're not already following us on Instagram, you can follow us at Nashville Drummers Podcast. If you're interested in being on the podcast, go ahead and send a message to either Dan or myself, or you can send it directly to the Nashville Drummers page on Instagram, and we will talk to you and review your case, and we'll judge you harshly. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>